Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back in. This is the Alliance 24-7 podcast. And things are moving fast right now in the college football landscape. Hopefully you're following our coverage at Lions247.com during this first full week of a 45-day window that allows FBS players to put their name in the transfer portal. We're just getting started. Five new names in there from the Nittany Lions 2022 roster. One of them did not finish this season with this team in Malik McNeil, an offensive lineman. We discussed the first four of those in the last episode. Davon Townley is the more recent name to surface in the transfer portal. Another redshirt freshman, another member of that 2021 recruiting class to look elsewhere as they continue their college career. A reserve defensive end this year, a guy that there was some optimism about how he was developing within this program after a couple of seasons, a former basketball-focused athlete at the high school level coming out of Minnesota. We'll talk more about his departure, uh, what that means for defensive end depth moving ahead a little bit later with Mark Brennan, with Daniel Gallon. We'll get into some Rose Bowl conversation. We've got a lot of roster movement to, to manage our way through. But first, uh, we begin with our friend Tyler Calvaruzzo, who does a great job covering recruiting. And more recently, the transfer portal at lines247.com. Our VIP subscribers have been well engaged with Tyler over the course of this week. And uh, we're just, what, 48 hours removed from your last appearance here on the podcast. And so much has already kind of pivoted and redirected and, and, and new things popping up and names to cross off list. Um, but welcome back. And we appreciate your coverage. Yeah, it feels good to be back on so soon. We got a lot to go over, as always. Well, typically, news tends to break either while we're talking here, so yeah. so hold on, but everybody, or like right after, and we're in post production. But we got a, a lucky break this time around because Kavion Keys went public with his decommitment uh, from North Carolina about an hour before we sat down to record here on a Thursday afternoon, and this was a name that has long, long been referenced on this podcast as saying, "Yes, he is committed to the Tar Heels," but. Dot, dot, dot. That was followed by a visit back to Beaver Stadium here in the fall for the whiteout win. He made his official visit to campus in the summer. He's a four-star linebacker. I absolutely love the film he's put together as an underclassman. I love the trajectory of where he's at as a linebacker, as a true linebacker. Tell me what your thoughts on uh, are on this development. And we've seen some crystal ball movement already. Where are you with your crystal ball? Yeah, you know, it's probably one of the least surprising things to happen recently, which kind of says a lot, just given all the craziness that's been going on. We said it even when he committed to North Carolina. I think we did a podcast either the day he committed to UNC or a couple days after where we pretty much laid out that this recruitment's not over despite that commitment. That commitment's not spelling the end of this race. It's no secret that Penn State and a bunch of other programs have stayed on key throughout the course of his recruitment. He made it out to the whiteout game. 
loved his time there. He's a big fan of Penn State's culture. That's been the case ever since his summer official visit that he took at the end of June. He loves the staff. He likes the plan that has been laid out for him Manny Diaz's defense. So now that Keys is officially back on the market, and you know, even though that he wasn't beforehand, Penn State had gained a lot of ground and it had a lot of momentum. And I think the Nittany Lions are sitting in the driver's seat right now. I know there are still plenty of variables that play with Keys. You know, there I'm sure ever since he backed off that UNC commitment, there have been new programs reaching out. We know Florida has been involved. We know Texas A&M has been involved. He might want to get out and see those schools. He's going to be at Virginia Tech coming up on a visit, which isn't really that big of a deal from a Penn State perspective, considering how many times he's been to campus and the fact that he's already taken his official. But there's still a lot going on behind the scenes with Keys. But I like where the Nittany Lions are at. I think I'm getting close on a crystal ball. I think heading into this weekend, all the signs are pointing for Penn State to have a good chance of winning this recruitment. Well, that'd be something. I mean, we've seen crystal balls go in from Brian Doan, who was yeah. on the show last week, and, and Steve Wiltfong, National Recruiting Director at 24-7 Sports. And you're talking about kind of working your way in that direction. And if he's about to you know, hop on campus with James Franklin's old buddy, Brent Pry, for a visit, that, that is compelling timing. And it would seem like the Hokies would have to hit an absolute home run. Um, you mentioned Texas A&M and, and what a variable they have been in the recruiting yeah. world generally for the last few years. And of late, a bit of a, what would you call it, maybe a, a, a collision course for a mess, and they're maybe ahead of schedule down there in College Station, but they're still acquiring talent, uh, and, and we'll see how they maybe play a role. But I'll tell you what, um, we're seeing Penn State come to the finish line here, and we've been saying, well, who's going to fill these seats at the table? And we've said, hey, watch out. There's going to be names that surface, and they have. Uh, Joseph Mapoye is, is a good example, I think, of that. The defensive end uh, playing is finishing out his football career uh, up, up in New England right now. But Kavion Keys has been on the board for a long time. And there's another name there, Mason Robinson, that we've been talking about for a while in the 2023 cycle, Tyler Calvaruso. Felt like maybe closing the book on him at some points in this cycle after that Northwestern commitment. But things have changed with that staff in Evanston, Illinois, and now he is going to be here in Happy Valley. Yeah, I would say that Penn State's interest in Robinson was kind of revamped when there was some overturn on the Northwestern coaching staff occurred. It really just came down to the Nittany Lions were always still in that picture, but once Northwestern parted ways with Jim O'Neill, defensive coordinator, and its defensive line coach, I think that gave Robinson a little bit of a reason to open up more, and now he's going to be on campus for the official this weekend. It's been a it's been a wild week with Robinson. You know the staff was down to see him. All went well there. So another situation where Penn State's trending in the right direction. And I said it the last time I was on with Robinson. You know there's still a lot more that went into his Northwestern commitment than football. The degree and the proximity to Chicago were big deals for him when he picked Northwestern over Penn State in May. And obviously, regardless of the overturn on coaching staff, that's still very much the case. The Northwestern degree hasn't been devalued and the campus hasn't grown any further apart from Chicago. So that's still very much in play for Robinson. But another situation where Penn State heading in the right direction, like their chances of making a move there while they get them on campus this weekend. A lot of times when you host a recruit for uh, for a visit this time of the year and, and you're trying to, to get to get them on board with weeks remaining, it's kind of a mad dash. You're trying to play catch up. You're trying to speed date in some ways in the recruiting terms. But in this case, there shouldn't really be a lot of secrets in place between the program and Mason Robinson, considering all those connections in place between Penn State and McDonough down in Maryland with with Kenny Sanders on the staff, with P.J. Mustafer as a as a uh, huge part of this current locker room, Denai Dennis Sutton, Devon Ailey's, Curtis Jacobs, all those guys potentially back on defense in 2023. So 
there's a lot to like about what Penn State could get done this weekend with Mason Robinson. And, and let's talk about him because there's been questions. How does he project at the next level? We've got him listed at 24-7 sports, by the way, at six foot four, 230 pounds, uh, the number 56 defensive lineman uh, in the class and the number eight player out of the state of Maryland. Uh, there, there's always a question when there's a guy in this kind of, I guess, frame about what he's going to look like when he's 20 years old. What are you hearing on Mason Robinson? What are you seeing in your evaluation of Robinson about where he might fit in uh, in this roster puzzle for Penn State? Yeah, he's got the frame to add some more weight and play heavier, but I think at the end of the day, he projects as a defensive end. I think that's where Penn State likes him right now. I think that's been the case for a while. He just has an end skill set. He's good at getting after the passer. He's gotten some nice twitch coming off the line. I just think he projects as an end at the next level. I think he's going to play heavier than the 230 that he's at right now. You know, you get him in a college strength and conditioning program, you put him to work, reshape that body, which is already in pretty good shape. I, I like him coming off the edge. I think he's going to pose a mismatch for some tackles at the next level. I like him a lot. Robinson out of Maryland, Keys out of Virginia, a couple of states that Penn State has annually done pretty darn good at on the recruiting trail under James Franklin. And uh, looking uh, at kind of the opposite end of the, the, the pendulum swing, I guess, here, and because things move so fast here and you get whiplash trying to follow it. A couple of guys that you thought Penn State might be in a good spot for going into the weekend, at least getting their chance with. Um, and things have changed and for different reasons in each case with a running back and an offensive lineman. Yeah, Christopher Johnson, four-star running back from down in Florida. We've talked about him a bunch and how Penn State looked like they were going to have a chance, a pretty good chance to make a move while he took his official visit. That visit won't be happening, and that was a Penn State call. Not quite sure why exactly that wound up being the decision, but Penn State decided that visit was not going to happen. And from the Johnson side of things, I've heard there's a chance he surfaces at Colorado this weekend for a visit. For an there's a chance that everyone, yeah, at this point, in yeah, Boulder, Colorado, this week. everybody seems. might show up there. That, I hope the airport is ready. Yeah, man, it's going to be busy there for sure for the foreseeable future. And there's an NIL element from what I've heard as well. So Penn State, still plenty of quality running back targets on the board. Kedrick Griscano is going to be on campus this weekend, and we can't forget about Cameron Wallace who made that November official visit. He's very much in play as well. And then on the offensive line, the elite Juco prospect, Keyshawn Blackstock, he won't be making it to campus. He was another guy who had an official originally scheduled. Going to be heading out to a Big Ten rival, going to be checking out Michigan State instead. So that, that's kind of a little bit of a blow for Penn State if he isn't getting out to East Lansing. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Juco guy looking to play early, looking to play right away. The depth chart at Penn State's kind of cloudy with Olufushano coming back. And there's a lot of there's a lot of play there. And mm -hmm. the path to playing time might not be as clear at Penn State as it is in other places. Now that, that doesn't Penn State was very high on Blackstock. That's that's the fact of the matter. They liked him a lot. James Franklin was out there in Kansas last weekend checking in on him. So he won't be making the visit. It's unfortunate because he's a really good player if you watch his tape, but it is what it is. You know, Penn State's getting a heck of a player back on its offensive line. So you win some, you lose some. You make a great point on the fact that there's a lot to celebrate with this offensive line and they're returning a lot of experienced players. And some of that's going to hinge on who's sticking around with it, with eligibility in 2023. Does anyone you know sniff this transfer portal this winter? There's some questions there, but they're bringing back a lot of experience. So that does make it a bit trickier in trying to say, hey, there's an obvious role for you here next September. 
in in the case of trying exactly. to sell a top yeah. JUCO prospect. So there's there's a name there with seemingly maybe at least if we're not crossing that name off the list, we're kind of putting on the back burner at this stage of the recruiting cycle. But all of a sudden on the on the transfer portal, because sometimes the recruiting trail taketh away and the transfer portal giveth, uh, there's a new offer on the offensive line. So you're looking for an impact player next year. Well, maybe Jeremiah Byers out of Texas El Paso could step on up and help you filter out one. Jeremiah Byers is a big dude, man. 6'4", 331. And I'll tell you what, he doesn't move like a guy who's 6'4", 331. He's an athletic tackle. First team All-Conference USA this past season when was an honorable mention the year before. He's got a lot of experience under his belt. He's picked up a lot of Power 5 interest since he hit the portal. The likes of Texas Tech involved. Florida State put out an offer. A bunch of others kicking the tires. Penn State likes him. I mean, you got to love that size and just the athleticism that he brings. He'd be, you know, Penn State's in search of quality depth on that offensive line as it was last offseason, and that's what Byers is. So it will be interesting to see where things go there. You know, Penn State being a new player, he's going to set some visits. That's still going to come together. Is he willing to come to the Northeast? You know, he's from that area. So he's not really from. So we'll see. There are definitely another situation where there are a lot of factors at play. But this was a very intriguing offer, I would say, just given the production of the player and just his size, man. <laughs> I keep coming back to the size, but he's a big dude, and he mauls people. He, he's a strong cat. And he's bringing some eligibility to whichever yeah. campus he heads to next. So that's a that's another variable in play. You're not just getting a, a one-year rental situation out of him. Uh, by the way, we may have buried the lead in talking about who's coming to campus this weekend, who's not coming to campus, because Dante Cephas is on the guest list, uh, as Brian Doan reported uh, on, on Wednesday evening at Lions247.com. Uh, a story was up. We can break that down a little bit now here because you want to talk about instant impact potential. This guy who at Kent State the last couple of seasons, uh, 130 combined catches, 2,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, and a lot of schools are on this guy. He just tweeted out an offer from Colorado that of course. I'll be I'll be honest with you, it looks like it, it just looks like prime university. It's hard to tell <laughs> which school is presenting the offer, but they got their sales pitch in place. And yet another wide receiver that Penn State would like to speak with, uh, Deion Sanders would like a word with as well. But Penn State's getting its first crack at it, and I think the goal for the Nittany Lions is to convince him not to go on a whirlwind official visit tour of college football because he's got the offers. Yeah, so right now, which is a pretty positive thing for Penn State, I would say, right now, Cephas doesn't have any other visits scheduled. That doesn't mean he's not going to take visits. It doesn't mean he's not looking at other programs pretty hard because he is. That's just the reality of the situation. But right now, Penn State is his only visit scheduled, and that's obviously going to occur this weekend. And another situation where the staff has a chance to make a really strong impression and you know potentially see the zoo. We're talking about a local guy coming back, didn't have the opportunity to play at Penn State on scholarship coming out of high school, and now he does, and that's very intriguing to him. And there's no question that this kid is going to be a high-level receiver no matter where he lands, in my opinion. I mean, you you watch his highlights at Kent State. He plays a lot bigger than his six-foot-one frame. He, he's just the definition of a playmaker, and I think the statistics – I know the stat, the numbers don't always tell the complete story, but I think with Cephas they do. So Penn State – Big opportunity, big, big opportunity this weekend. They love that guy, and I do not blame them. He's a player, and they're going to love the chance to get him on campus and sell that vision in the offense, maybe even lock him down. We'll see. I can't wait till the moment when, when he's sitting in the room with, with Taylor Stubblefield and it in pops the, the freshman, the six foot four, <laughs> big wide grin on his face. Oh, I took the wrong turn, guys. I was looking for – and it's Drew Aller. I might as well just take a seat next to you and we'll, we'll cut enough film. All right, I'll stick around for a little while. Yeah, they're going to get him involved with Drew Aller. I'd well, imagine no, no. receiver on campus at this point. Um, and, and obviously a, a big situation for Taylor Stubblefield. I think a lot of people want to see him land some kind of big fish. Got Mitchell Tinsley no last year. 
He was very important to them this year. He was not the game changer kind of player uh, that, that some maybe were hoping he could be. I don't think it was really fair to assume he would be, but Cephas, he checks off a lot of the boxes for you. Um, and as we said, a guy who was on campus a, a while back as a guy who wasn't necessarily coveted back then by Penn State, but he has familiarity with the program. And it's funny how sometimes things circle back. Let's finish this with, with this because we're going to get to Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan in just a moment. Um, but you pointed a cornerback as a priority spot in the transfer portal last episode for Penn State. We've seen that reflected through the offers. And I thought the most recent offer at that position was really interesting. Not only is it a guy who you've competed against in Big Ten action on three separate occasions against Iowa, uh, but Terry Roberts is another in-state uh, product. Played at Cathedral Prep, was in the same class as Juice Scruggs, did really big things during their state title run on both sides of the ball back in 2017. And now here he is looking to use his sixth year of eligibility, and now Penn State is coming calling this time around. We've done a lot of talk about quality depth at other positions, and you know, they're, they're looking to accomplish that in the secondary as well. And when you take a look at Robert's resume and just what he brings to the table, he kind of fits like a glove in that regard. Veteran, plays on special teams, really, really good special team, or one of Iowa's best. Was playing his best football pretty much of his career, you could argue, in the secondary before a seat. And, you know, an injury kind of derailed his season a little bit. But Roberts is just a guy, you bring him in, and he's instantly a fit on and off the field. You know, he was one of the most beloved players in the Iowa locker room from what we've been yeah. able to gather. It just the utmost respect of his teammates. And I think if he were to come to Penn State, he would probably achieve that same status. He just seems like the kind of guy that natural leader, players flock to him. He's a guy you want to be around. And there's been a lot of talk about him wanting to play closer to home. Penn State gives him a chance to do that. He's a name I'm keeping a really close eye on as we're moving forward. I think there's a lot of mutual interest there right now for the role that Penn State's looking to fill. David Eichholt covers Iowa for us at 24-7 Sports, and he covers Iowa better than anybody. I think he has yeah. this pulse, uh, a finger on the pulse of that program better than anyone. And he he delivered some goods over on our message board when, when this offer popped up. And he said, you know, yeah, a guy who this locker room has loved and leaned on in some moments of adversity, not available for the second half of this season. Uh, there were reports out of Iowa City that it was a lower leg issue coming out of a matchup in, in October. Never anything official, I think, from Kirk Ferentz, which isn't surprising on the injury subject. So some things to sort through that from a health standpoint but who's also david referenced here maybe one of the best special teams players in the history of the iowa hawkeyes football program and punk coverage and we saw aj litton come in a couple years ago it was a short-lived nittany lions career out of florida state as a transfer and he was able to do some really good things as a gunner uh, that season he, you know he was hearing gone but you think about even just filling that role and fortifying some depth at cornerback um there's a lot to be said for finding that kind of a piece in the transfer portal. It may not be the splashy, sexiest pickup, but it's the yeah. kind that can really make or break you in some key moments. Tyler, really appreciate it. I know you'll have coverage coming out of our conversation. Sure. We'll be right back on the message board. So get over to lions247.com. Uh, plenty coming from the recruiting trail from this weekend and from the transfer portal from Tyler Calvaruzzo. Always appreciate hopping on the podcast, man. Always appreciate you having me, man. I'm sure we'll be back soon. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's jump into it with a couple other Friendly faces from the Alliance 24-7 team. It is Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen, who uh, are booked and ready to go to the Rose Bowl, along with Mark's daughter, Grace, who takes uh, great photos for us at the site and has been doing that for seasons now. But, fellas, I can already feel the sunshine, although when I peeked at the forecast for L.A., it was disappointingly highs in the 50s this week. So let's hope for rising temps later in the week. But I, I want to get a perspective from you, Mark. This is your fourth Rose Bowl you're covering. Not to date you or anything, but you've spent some time out in Pasadena. What should Penn State expect from this experience? What should we expect from this experience? And what should fans be anticipating who are maybe investing that financial uh, you know, to, to go out there and experience this whole thing for a week? Yeah, just to be clear, I, I was not at the 1922 game. I, I didn't get to – I didn't I didn't cover Penn State when Hugo Bezdick took them out there on trains or uh, – horses or whatever it was back in the day but listen the thing about the rose bowl is the game itself uh the stadium the atmosphere the pageantry you know people love the parade all of that stuff is just absolutely unbelievable but beyond that it's really a los angeles experience i mean the team hotel is in los angeles uh right by staples center the media hotel is, is down in that same area. So a lot of people are like, hey, you know, everybody's going out to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl. You're not really spending all your time in Pasadena. I'm not sure what all there would be, be to do in Pasadena. So if you dig big cities, if you like big cities, uh, L.A. is as big as it gets. And uh, it's, a, it's a happening place and there's a lot of cool things to do. But in terms of going out, the, the reason people love to get to that game, and if you haven't do it, haven't done it, the reason it's a bucket list game, again, the, the stadium is unbelievable. The, the atmosphere of the game, uh, game day in Pasadena, the parade, all of those things are just absolutely special. And, you know, it's kind of funny that 
I hear some people may be disappointed they're going to the Rose Bowl or whatever, and it's like this is a team that's coming off of 11 wins in the past two seasons combined. You're in a New Year's Six game. Enjoy it. So it's game day. Uh, if you guys haven't been there, and I don't think you have, it is it's something to behold, and it's, it's a very cool scene. And I also love the fact that they're getting a different opponent. You know, I, I've seen Penn State play USC twice out in that game, uh, played Oregon, obviously, in 94. Uh, but to get a team that they've never seen before in Utah and a good team, a tough team, a team that played really well in the in the Pac-12 championship game, uh, I think that's pretty cool too. Daniel, uh, Tyler Calvaruzzo and I just spent some time breaking down some of Penn State's many new targets on the transfer portal and, and players of interest. And we could have gone on and on because that list grows and there were some guys that have been mentioned on the message board that we haven't talked about here on the podcast necessarily but shifting focus to the outgoing group, Davon Townley is the latest name to, to, to pop up there on Wednesday. It was a name that we were watching going into the week. He had a decision uh, that he was working through and ultimately uh, deciding that he wanted to explore his options. Another one of those year two players. We'll talk about that. It's been a, a, a lot of movement out of that 2021 class. But uh, I, I'm curious what your reaction here is in terms of the defensive end unit, which is kind of short on like those first and second year players, but generally – looks like it should have a pretty quality rotation in place again next year. It, it's definitely a group that's still healthy. Um, at the same time, we, you know, we've talked about that. You can never have too many edge rushers. And even when you look back uh, to where this unit was in the spring, um, the, the depth has really gone back and it's really kind of ping ponged back and forth. Um, you look at the production that they were getting during the 2021 season. Um, you know, it was pretty much just Arnold Ebiketti. Um, Jesse Lucetta and Nick Tarburton both did some nice things, but that was you know, mostly the the Ebiketti show. Um, so, you know, I think anytime you lose someone at that position, especially kind of an, an early stage developmental guy, which is, I think, what we really considered Townley to be. He had those really good measurables and you could kind of <clears throat> plot out in, you know, two or three years, maybe what he might look like, maybe what he could be. Um, obviously that won't happen in state college now, uh, but anytime you lose one of those guys, it, it, it's a bit of a blow. Um, I think that everything starts up front in the trenches. And so you look at both him and Rodney McGraw, two second year guys leaving that position group, you do kind of have to forecast that, okay, this group in 2023 might look okay. But when you get into 2024, 2025, and you keep going down the road, you need to really figure out how to backfill you know, stockpile some more guys back there so that you don't end up in a situation where one or two untimely injuries and suddenly the the depth is is really sapped. I mean, after Zariah Fisher went down, you also had Adisa Isaac coming back from a torn Achilles. So you had some, you know, it was kind of tenuous there. You know, no you chop add, yet, by the way. Yeah. No chop yet. Yeah. Exactly. And then you add Chop Robinson, then you bring in Denied Dennis Sutton over the summer and and things look a little bit better, but it is one of those positions where, you know, you look at a top three and you might feel really good about it, but there's a big difference between having a, a three-man rotation versus just having two starters. So one injury can really change the picture there. Um, Townley was someone that you kind of, you know, your imagination could kind of go with him in terms of what he brought athletically and, and his measurables. Um, but, you know, he, he looked at it. And I think that for a player like that, I think that's a, it's a good, time to transfer you know this early in your your career where you can go somewhere else and still be able to get developed and still kind of have be able to 
you know, grow a little bit more um, as, as his career goes on. And I think if you're the Penn State staff, you can probably say, well, the case is, hey, you've invested, you've developed, look look at yourself in the mirror, how much you've changed physically since you've been here. You're, you're getting some game reps. I think it was less than 30 snaps over the year, but he's a guy that we saw getting a lot of work on the practice field with the scout team. And you wondered, wow, he's, he's growing. He looks a lot different than the basketball player who we, who we saw in high school. Um, and, and so you'd understand why there would be remaining intrigue of all the guys who have left the portal so far. I'd probably put him up there with, with Christian Veyer. You got to put the quarterback in like his own category in college football these days. But in terms of everybody else, I think that that Davon Townley fits that power five profile still the most. Um, maybe you see Rodney McGraw up there. Uh, Malik McNeil's a pretty fascinating prospect profile to me with his size, with the lack of experience, didn't have a bunch of offers come, coming in out of uh, out of high school into Penn State. Uh, and then Jeffrey Davis, we just haven't seen him play much football and the offer sheet in his case also wasn't necessarily loaded with the top uh, with the top power five schools coming out of high school. To me, Townley is someone who, with three more years of eligibility, with how he's progressed since he, he came out of Minneapolis, uh, there, there's there's going to be room, I think, on a lot of rosters for him. And I think that, that you probably had room on him for, for your room on this roster for him uh, if you're able to carry him moving forward. Townley, to me, um, you know, fits that profile of a guy who you, you, you'd understand why he might be venturing uh, elsewhere because he didn't visit Penn State during his recruitment process. It's because that 2021 recruiting cycle was so different. It impacted Penn State so tremendously. We discussed that with Brian Doan a bunch of times here on the broadcast. And, and he said, I mean, it's not just Penn State fans thinking this. He said Penn State was impacted more than any other program across college football by this pandemic because of the inability for guys to come to Happy Valley, pick up the vibes, which are unique to hear. Um, and, and whether you believe that or not, uh, you're seeing that reflected, I think, and, and really across the country right now, Mark, four guys out of out of the five who have left the program are from that 2021 recruiting class. There's a bunch of second year players in this transfer portal for one reason or another. Um, but, but I think you can correlate that to a lot of stories like Davon Townley. Maybe you didn't get to campus. Maybe it was a late building relationship. You didn't get the exposure that you probably were due on the prospect camp circuit. You know, he never got out there the summer before his senior year and wowed people, ended up with offers from the south or offers down from the west. Now he can tip his toe in the transfer portal. Maybe some of that stuff surfaces. But I think this is kind of a reckoning for college football just because how the high school careers ended for that class of 2021. Yeah, and for people who don't may not follow the recruiting uh, end of things very closely, the reason it was so big uh, it is because one of the really key things for Penn State is its summer prospect camps. Uh, what Brian Doan was getting at is that this isn't necessarily the easiest place to get to, <laughs> but they have, what, six or eight camps over the summer, and literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prospects uh, come to those camps. And Penn State's able to see these players in person. That's a big part of it. But the other part is the players are able to see Penn State and a lot of guys will come in for a couple of days and check out campus and that sort of thing. So when you don't have that, you know, this year was the first year they were back kind of full go with it. And I think even we appreciated it because it gave us more things to cover uh, at that time of year. But I think there's another element, Tyler and Daniel. They, You know, with the transfer portal, kids just don't want to be patient. These guys we, we're seeing who are leaving were, were all – you know, foreign team players or backup players who saw little or no action. And that's just going to be the new normal. And I think when you look at the defensive end specifically, 
it's obvious that Penn State is going to make that an area of priority in the portal every year. Uh, they got AK, they get Chop. So you're a young defensive end in this class struggling to get on the field. They bring in Chop last year, and they should have brought in Chop because he's a really good player with multiple years. And then you're wondering who they're going to bring in next, and you start wondering, when am I going to get my opportunity? And it's it's <laughs> kind of understandable, but we're not. I guess we're just not going to see a lot of players waiting and trying to fight through to get that opportunity. Deny Dennis Sutton is a freak. And and there are not a lot there are not a lot of true freshmen who are able to come in and do the sorts of things that he did on the defensive line. Zane Durant is a freak. These are guys who could come in and contribute immediately. That's not everybody. Some kids it's going to take two, three years. And unfortunately for the McGraws and for the Townleys, they weren't willing to to, to wait. Uh, best of luck to them wherever they go, because I think both guys are developing players and both guys have an opportunity to have a nice future. I think Townley, as you mentioned, uh, especially you look at the physical attributes, what he was able to do on the basketball court. Uh, I think he has a he has a really bright future. It would have been nice to see him be patient, but that's that's not the way things work anymore. I think there's also a point to make where you said, you know, guys willing to stay. There's also the transparency that a lot of staffs are embracing. And James Franklin has talked about it, where you've got to be up front with the player about forecasting his immediate and long term future with your program. Because what you were describing about their future when they were 17 years old, the mom and dad were, were, were you know in your house for dinner during the official visit is different than after you know two years on campus. And when you've gotten in for 20 total snaps over the course of that and you're looking up at guys who've since got to campus and now you're backing them up. And so you've got to be able to, to, to adjust as a player and adjust as a coaching staff and get to these postseason conversations and, and, and really clear that air. And I think it's I think you're seeing the result of it and some of it's going to sting and some of it's going to make a lot of sense. And we've seen some of those kind of moves uh, early on. I think Townley more falls into the category where uh, you, you certainly could have would have really liked to see how it could have gone from Penn State. Maybe the writing was on the wall for some of the other guys and how it was going to go for them. Um, and, and Rodney McGraw was kind of trending. Was he going to be a defensive tackle? It was kind of all over the place. But this one impacts you at defensive end specifically. And so just diving into that a little bit and, and kind of where things are, it could be a lot of familiar names on campus. And you could be maybe scrambling a little bit to, to fill some snaps here. Adiza Isaac, Nick Tarburton, Chop Robinson will qualify all of them as starters, fellas, because Nick Tarburton got all the starts, but Chop Robinson often led these defensive ends in snaps on a game-by-game -game basis. Adiza is a junior, a redshirt junior, finished the season strong, came back from that torn Achilles. You could understand year four, got some good film at the end of the season. We know he's a special athlete what the temptation could be. But you also say, well, if you're building back from this injury, what could you do with another season at the college level and trying to build your resume? Nick Tarburton is a fifth-year senior. He's been healthy for the last couple of years. Does he seize this moment of good health and say, hey, I I've played a lot of football the last couple of years. Let me take my shot at the pro level, see what I can make of that. And then Chop Robinson, he's only a sophomore. So you're in good shape there. He's not a one-year rental situation like Arnold Abikede was. You got him for multiple years. Daniel – there's a lot to read into the decisions of two of those guys, though. Adisa, Nick Tarburton, and, and quite frankly, the way the structure is set up and, and what I'd imagine, we're not going to get those answers until January 2nd evening or maybe into January 3rd. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to to watch. And I think that when you look at both Adisa Isaac and, and Nick Tarburton, 
know, personally, I can understand pretty much any permutation uh, of any decision that they make. I mean, someone like Tarburton, given what he's been through earlier in his career with injuries, he's been healthy. You know, if he wants to say, okay, I've done what I can do, I'm moving on. It makes sense to me. If he wants to come back for a sixth year uh, and build on this even more, also makes sense to me. Um, Adisa Isaac is a little bit more interesting given what he's coming off of. And I do think that he is someone that really could benefit from coming back for another year. Uh, you know, we saw some flashes of it. Uh, in the second, you know, down the stretch of the season, he led the team in quarterback hurries. And you kind of think, okay, if he gets another off season back, you know, another year in the strength and conditioning program, how many of those hurries turn into sacks as he gets his health back, you know, gets back to that, that full level um, of what Penn state thought he could be. But at the same time, he, he plays a premium position. Um, like James Franklin says that his guys test well at the combine, uh, so if you're an edge rusher with with some of those measurables and you go to Indianapolis and and put on a show, that can boost you up, you know, two or three rounds. Um, so, you know, that wouldn't really surprise me either, uh, even though I, I think that in the, in the big picture, um, it might make sense for another year for Adisa Isaac uh, at Penn State. But if Penn State comes back next year with, with all three of those guys intact atop the rotation, I think that that is... You know, kind of a coup uh, for John Scott and the staff. You know, you're going to have some turnover in the middle with PJ Mustafer moving on um, behind those three defensive ends. You, you wonder where Zariah Fisher is going to be in, in his comeback from injury. How is Denai Dennis Sutton coming along uh, in going into his second year in the program? Um, so there are some questions in that defensive line group. And so if you can, you know, have three pretty solid answers uh, atop that depth chart, I think that could be pretty major for them. But you know, like you said, it, you know, it might be right after the Rose Bowl. It might be 24 hours after. could even be 24 hours before. Um, yep. But it's definitely something that we'll be looking forward to getting answers on. And you just have to remember there are things beyond the, the football field and what a guy's going to look like in an NFL uniform. Adiza Isaac's family situation, I know it's been featured on some national you know, showcases before some of these matchups. I think people have a better understanding of, of his mom, who he's called a warrior, and, and, and how she has raised some of these siblings who are dealing with some pretty incredible issues and how, as a family, they've gotten through that. And this is where, hey, uh, maybe you don't have to wait till you're in an NFL uniform to where you can start taking care of some of those things at home this is where the NIL, you know, the NIL can be a tipping point in the kind of decision. Is the NIL going to be the same thing as getting first round money? No. But is Adisa Isaac a prospect right now who is in a first round situation? No, uh, not not by, based on anything I have gathered. Um, and he may very well put himself in that with with the 12 games of healthy football. He admitted to us, you know, it took a while till he was able to trust his feet working underneath him and 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 trust that Achilles again. And you understand that is an injury you High-level athletes suffer, and it takes a long, long time for them to bounce back to where they were if they can get back there. Um, and I think the forgotten man and the fact that we haven't even gotten to him here in this rotation is Amin Vanover, who, as a redshirt sophomore, played as much football uh, in this group as anybody beyond those three names that we just bounced around. Him, denied in a sudden, were, were the other consistent rotational pieces you talked about Durant earlier, Mark, and, and him and Denai Dennis Sutton coming in, you know, rising above some guys who were on campus before them. But I still think you know this season was really good for them and good for Penn State that they weren't counted upon to be holding a lot on their shoulders. You know, I think there was a few times where Durant and, and Denai Dennis Sutton both were flirting with twenty to twenty-five snaps. Usually, it was more about a dozen snaps a game, if not less. And so you're kind of working them in. 
But with Amin Vanover, with Deny Dennis Sutton, both those guys that could be primed to step up into a starting role if, if one of those names that we just mentioned departs. And then you've got a couple wild cards, Mr. Brennan. Zariah Fisher, who, surprise, surprise, showed up on the field late in the season, played in the last few games. Uh, great for him to work his way back from what we thought may be a season-ending injury suffered in the spring. And then Smith Vilbert, who got the Hakeem Beeman treatment uh, in 2022 on the practice field, getting a lot of love for his work on the scout team, getting zero time in a uniform on Saturdays. So there's a lot of names to work with beyond those three. We just still have some things to learn about them. But I want to give Amin Vanover that credit because he stepped up in a big way in year three. Yeah, you call him the forgotten man, some idiot who uh, who, who said defensive <laughs> end is a, is a position they should really look at in the transfer portal. Forgot poor Amin Vanover, and that was dumb on my part because he played really well in a backup role. And I think it was almost a little bit surprising. I mean, he did some really nice <laughs> things. So I apologize to Amin and I apologize to our readers, but I like the way you threw me under the bus there, Tyler. Thanks. Honestly, I was not even thinking no, about no, it. We I'm, just I'm, often don't reference him when we talk no, about defense. I'm joking, but, but I, and I, I was actually, when somebody pointed that out on the message board, listen, people, if I ever miss something, please, by all means, point it out because, you know, they will. it's a they grind will. doing they what will. we do. And it's, and it's uh, pretty cool that people, you know, kind of, set you straight but yeah I mean I think it's almost a good problem to have right <coughs> uh, you know Daniel touched on it earlier uh, that you know you think you know who's going to be there but you don't know but to have that sort of depth and again I do think that I think it's one of those positions along with the offensive line that you really have to kind of target every year in the portal simply to build depth I mean because you just you, you need so many athletes at those spots and we saw, I mean, Zariah Fisher, everybody was expecting him to be a player this year and, and ends up missing most of the season. We thought he was gone for the year. Then he comes back. And then Smith Vilber comes off of what, a four sack game or whatever it was in the in the Outback Bowl. And everybody's expecting him to be a key contributor. And, and he's not there at all. A couple of years ago with Adisa Isaac, you know, everybody was expecting him to really step up and he gets injured in the preseason. So those are such valuable positions those two DM positions, and especially with a, with a guy like Manny Diaz, who really has amped up the pressure, and you see all the tackles for losses. You see all the sacks that they're coming through with. And, and to have players at those positions are big. But, yeah, for Amin Vanover, he was a guy who really trended in the right direction this year, and it was nice to see him uh, do some of the things that he did. One other thing I, I would mention is that one of the very cool things about these uh, New Year's Six games is that we will have the opportunity to talk to every single player on the roster. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get to every single player on the roster, but every single player on the roster will be available at media day. It's an open locker room after the game. So a lot of these things where we might not have had opportunities to ask people about, uh, we are going to have opportunities to ask, ask a Nick Tarburton if he doesn't make his decision sooner uh, what his plans are. What is he going to tell us? I don't know. Uh, we will be able to ask Adiza Isaac if he doesn't make his decision uh, before then or whatever decision he may or may not have. So that's one of the really cool things about the the uh, the, the New Year's Six games is that they are mandated to have all the players available for at least one day, and then it's an open locker room afterwards. So that's going to be fun for us to all be there. 
Mark, I like how you asked, like, we're not all going to be sprinting to the freshman and Nick Singleton, K. Charnell, and Drew Allard, and I, Dennis Sutton. But it's an, o- I, it's an hour. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I a know. Whole, it's a whole hour. So There's we, a lot yeah. of freshmen. There's yeah, a lot after of freshmen. we talk no, no. to all those guys, there are other guys that we're going to have an opportunity to talk to. And that's <laughs> we, one thing that we really missed the last couple of years. Yeah. The last time we were able to do it was at the Cotton Bowl, which was, which was pretty cool. And then, obviously, the Fiesta Bowl and then the Rose Bowl before that. So that's one of the cool things with these – uh, NCAA bowl games, I guess you would call them. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but it's mandated that these players are available. Yeah, that, that's one thing that's I, I think people are pretty aware of this as they follow Penn State closely, but freshmen are not made available for any of our media sessions um, once they get to campus. So in the case of Drew Aller, I mean, we had him on the podcast, I think, 72 hours before he enrolled on campus. And once he got to campus, unless he's speaking to their in-house media department for stuff they're doing for the Penn State site or Penn State social media, he has not talked to media you can expect that to change uh, during that open locker room out in Pasadena. Same goes for Nick Singleton and all the other freshmen we just talked about. But you're as gonna you have to get podiums out for those kids. You're gonna have to get the big podiums. Uh, I don't know how they're gonna handle it because it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little crazy. I do want to get into some Rose Bowl stuff to finish this episode, but before that, I mean, defensive end is not a finished product as we're looking ahead toward 2023. Uh, Jamil Lyons out of Philadelphia, the question with him, really impressive prospect, by the way, out of Roman Catholic, um, four-star kind of uh, level prospect. And is he going to grow out of that defensive end position? Is he going to be more of an interior prospect long-term here with Penn State? Tamir Robinson is listed as an edge rusher on on 24-7 sports with his ranking. Uh, He slotted a land at, at linebacker initially here as an Indy line, but some targets are surfacing. We, we just heard Mason Robinson and, and potentially working his way from a Northwestern commitment to a Penn State commitment as Tyler Calvaruso is breaking that down. He could be one of those guys who, who makes an impact in that room next year on the practice field, at least. Josh uh, Joseph Mapoye, uh, the, the New England uh, defensive end who, who has been on Penn State's radar and has a crystal ball pick in. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the, there's some names thrown out there, and as Mark alluded to, the transfer portal feels like an area that, that you can always look to or try to go to uh, to find some products and, and shop Robinson and Arnold Abicetti were certainly splash pickups. Getting back to the Rose Bowl, though, guys, uh, what stands out, Daniel, to you upon first glance at Utah? Because we, we've mentioned that Penn State's in this game. We've talked a little bit about what it's going to be like out at the Rose Bowl. Haven't talked a lot about who Penn State's actually playing. We've got three and a half weeks to do that. But upon first glance, this team just bullied the USC Trojans, who a lot of people were thought going to the playoffs. What do you think about opponent number 13 for the Nittany Lions? I think the the one thing that stands out to me is just how they're they have a very cohesive identity and it it starts from the top down. I mean, it, it's crazy to think that Kyle Whittingham has been there for 18 years at this point, where he was the guy who succeeded Urban Meyer uh, when Urban Meyer went to Florida. And That's you think insane. about all <laughs> the various stops and starts on Urban Meyer's career, uh, and Kyle Whittingham has just been there the the whole time and you know he's really built something there you know from the mountain west into the pac-12 you know they didn't get on top of the pac-12 until last year but they've just been a very competent program and i think that it really shines through with with their style of play um you know cam rising is a lot of fun to watch as a quarterback um you know, there's some of those ups and downs uh with him uh you think of back to uh, i think that florida game on opening night where he almost had them all the way back before a, you know, a pretty tough turnover late. Um, but yeah, I think just kind of the, just how well coached they are, how solid they are. Um, and it felt like once they got that momentum going against USC, that they're really, that they're so cohesive that it just was such a snowball effect. 
um, that once they got their offense really kind of humming, you know, that was kind of a, a runaway train. And then that spread over to the defense where once the defense really got USC back on its heels, they were able to really keep coming and coming and coming. Um, and I think that that's something that that really stands out to me. And I just think that starts with Kyle Whittingham uh, and what he's built, what he's been able to do. Um, and that just kind of trickles down to all the areas of the team. They lost that opener uh, in Gainesville, uh, very close. They were on that doorstep of maybe uh, returning all the way home with it with a one and zero record. Went on a nice run, ended up losing uh, in October to UCLA, a ranked opponent. Uh, also lost on the road at Oregon, a ranked opponent. They finished the regular season nine and three. They get to their tenth win by lumping up USC in the second half of that of that Pac-12 championship. And they are now the back-to-back Pac-12 champions. Mark, the, the thing that everyone's been pointing to about this Penn State season, if you want to, if, if, if people want to call it some kind of a hollow 10-win season, is where is the signature win? You know, that, that's one thing that if people want to poke holes, that's been the go-to. It's presented to you now. And it seems like Penn State's in a good spot to get there with a lot of their top players. I'm still not trusting that they're going to have everybody. We got to see them get there and see guys in uniform. Opt-outs are a real deal that we have to keep our finger on the pulse of. But it's right there for them, not just to get to that 11th win, but to get to the 11th win against the number eight team in the country who just repeated as a Power Five conference champion. And you are going to be set up very well for the all-season buzz. Yeah, I mean, the thing I loved about Utah was just how tough that team is. I mean, it was just, that team was just tougher than USC, right? I mean, we had a vested interest in watching that big game because we were wondering what impact it might have on where Penn State was going to go bowling. Uh, but I was just just blown away. I think James Franklin made a made a a very ag- accurate, apropos comment uh, when talking about the bowl when he's talking about rising. You know, he got his his block knocked off in that game. He got his helmet, like, literally knocked off. Just gets up. Yeah, yeah, give me my helmet. Put it back on. I mean, he got his helmet knocked off, and he, I thought it was Dave Grohl underneath there. He, he's got the long hair. I mean, he, he looks like a rock, some sort of grunge rocker, uh, but a tough player, uh, you know, made all the right plays. You know, who, know, who knows what happens in that game if uh, if Williams doesn't get banged up. But to their credit – Utah was the much, much tougher team. And you're right. There isn't necessarily a signature win on this schedule uh, for Penn State so far this year. And that's through no fault of Penn State. I don't think, you know, Auburn ended up that when that game was scheduled, Auburn was a legit, you know, SEC uh, contending type program. Michigan um, State tanked. Yeah, Michigan State went, went all the way down. It was the first year in 50 years that Penn State didn't play Iowa, right? I mean, I don't know how – I mean, <laughs> the one year you could probably use a game against Iowa, and Iowa wasn't even that good. So I guess maybe Purdue, uh, you know, you're look, as, you, as you look back at it. So it wasn't Penn State's fault, but you're right. This is a nice opportunity on a huge stage. You know, everybody's going to be watching this game because it's not going head-to-head with anything else, I don't think. And uh, so, yeah, against a, a legit program. And, and I hope Penn State fans realize, because we don't get a, a, a lot of opportunities to see Utah, but I hope they got an opportunity to watch that Pac-12 championship game to see what this program's all about. Class act for a coach. Uh, super, super tough defense. Uh, really well-run offense. And I just love, again, I can't say enough about rising. I mean, I just loved what I saw of him in that game. And I think he kind of willed them uh, to to get to the lead and get it out in front. And then eventually they just put it away. So, yeah, it's a legit game, a legit opponent. I'm looking forward to it. 
to me, I mean, it's maybe their biggest postseason showcase. I mean, certainly since the Fiesta Bowl back in 2017, you go back to the Rose Bowl in 2016, which was a, a tremendously uh, yeah. a popular game for people to go back and pick apart. And just so much happened in that matchup. And Sam Darnold made himself a bunch of money, and Saquon Barkley did too. But I, I think when, when you kind of work your – well, yeah, and and but then you work your way through what it's been since then. I mean, that the Citrus Bowl matchup uh, down in Orlando, or McSorley's banged up, and you know it ends up being a, a kind of an ugly game, and Kentucky wins, and it's a, a four-loss Penn State team. And the next year, we're out, and we have an awesome time in Dallas, and the Cotton Bowl was a hell of a show. But the one thing about the Cotton Bowl, and, and we were all ready to go back, and it looked like we might be going back this year, and we would have got, gladly gone back to Dallas, but the matchup all credit to Tulane and all credit yeah. a couple of years back to Memphis just doesn't carry as much weight. It's that great story of a season. But by the time we saw Memphis, their coach had already left for another job. He left for another opportunity that he had earned. And then, you know, you're going to see a Tulane team. That's a nice story. And 11 wins is 11 wins. And you can look back and point to we were 11 and two, but it's nice to do it against a top 10 team that carries more respect. And I think you have that opportunity here in 2020. Uh, there was no bowl. And then last year against an Arkansas team, it felt like we watched, uh, I guess, a, a, a hollowed out shell of, of the Nittany Lions carcass play a Razorbacks team, team <laughs> yeah. that just ran the ball over them. And, and so, hey, it looks like we're, we're primed for a really good matchup that's going to have a lot of eyeballs on it. And I'll ask you guys this question as we uh, just kind of for now – uh, put the punctuation mark in our Rose Bowl conversation. It's going to be ongoing for the next three weeks or so. Um, between now and kickoff, uh, on, uh, on what, 2 p.m. local time out there in Pasadena on the 2nd of January, what is the biggest question that you have about this Penn State team? We've got a little bit of separation now since they picked up that 10th win. There's some moving pieces in a personnel standpoint, but we'll start with you, Daniel. Between now and this 13th game on the schedule, what, what's kind of that, that question that, that you want to, you know, itch and get to the bottom too i'm curious what the what the offensive line is going to look like uh whether that's with olu fashion or without i mean we saw that U utah front really get after uh caleb williams and, and usc down the stretch uh once caleb williams was kind of immobilized uh, by you know whatever his injury was i think that changed the complexion uh, of that game a little bit um you know sean clifford and, and drew aller aren't caleb williams uh, in in the legs department um, so I, I'm really curious to see what Penn State is able to do um, against that Utah front. And that's, you know, no matter what, you know, combination is out there, no matter which five guys are there between injury and opt outs. Um, you know, I want to see if Penn State is able to be pretty sturdy up front, um, both against the pass and in the run game, because you know, USC, I liked or Utah. I mean, I like those Utah defensive ends. Um, I thought that they have some interesting prospects. Like one of their defensive ends is a converted wide receiver um, in terms of length and athleticism. That's a really interesting body type to me. Um, so I, I'm just curious to see what Penn State is able to do, uh, you know, up front. Um, you know, James Franklin has, you know, kept saying that, you know, he's not going to talk about the offensive line yet. It's, it's still not time to talk about them. <laughs> Uh, but this is going to be our, our last look at them for the year. And I think they have the chance to really, you know, put the cherry on top of a really nice season for them. I think aside from the obvious, which is Olu Fashionu and whether he plays or not and whether he's available or not, uh, two names that stick out to me there, Daniel. Uh, Vega Ione, how much does he plan to be involved? He was you know, working in a little bit at right guard with Salim Wormy last week. He can play that fourth game without burning redshirt. They like him a lot in this program. 
Curious to see what his involvement might look like out there. West Coast guy, by the way, it'd be pretty cool for him to finish out his freshman season. And then Caden Wallace. I mean, is he getting an opportunity to get back out there and get some game reps under his belt and, and you know, kind of reassert himself? I think a lot of people have been quick when they're looking at what 2023 in the offensive line might look like. They forget to list him for whatever reason. And he's a redshirt junior. He's started a lot of games. Um, and I know he's left some to be desired, and he was working in with with Bryce Efter in a tandem rotation, but he started the first seven games this year. So I'm, I'm curious if he can get back, because I think he was close to the end of the season. Um, Mark, what are you looking looking at in the next few weeks? Yeah, you know, we don't script these shows. So when you when you brought that up... No, if you I mean, couldn't tell, by the no, way. No, 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 but that's, I, think that's, I think that's actually good. I mean, I, I, I enjoy it more when it's more of just a discussion, and we're not going item one, item two, item three. But I mentioned that because when you brought that up, the first thing that popped into my giant head was Jake Pinnegar. I mean, this figures to be a close game, and he was all over the place this year, and I think it's going to be really important for him to play well in this game. Otherwise, I think if you look at Penn State's season and you go back and you look at the three toughest games that Penn State had, to me would have been Purdue and then obviously uh, Ohio State and Michigan. And what did those three teams have in common? Both had very accurate, very good quarterbacks. So, you know, is I haven't looked at uh, Rising's uh, numbers just yet, but he's been very effective for most of the season. In their wins, he was really effective, obviously. I think being able to get pressure on him and for the secondary to really step up and play well. I, th I think keeping him in check, is going to be key because I think if you if you allow if you're able to do that I think that takes a lot of things away. So getting pressure on the quarterback and continued strong play from your secondary even without jo Joey Porter Jr. which they showed they can do without him for for what two of the last three games and then really he didn't even play all that much in the, against Michigan State. So I think that those are the things. But really, you know, in all seriousness, I think Jake Pinniger could be a really big factor in what figures to be a tight, hard-hitting, defensive-oriented, well-played game. Mark, you spent enough time explaining uh, your answer that I was able to look up rising stats, so I appreciate that. Thanks. And he is He's at 66% uh, completion on the season. He's coming off of a, a 22 of 34 performance, which is 65% against USC, 310 yards, three touchdowns without an interception against the Trojans, and uh, that's a second consecutive game with three touchdowns, no interceptions. But that follows a zero-touchdown, three-pick performance against Oregon. So not exactly Superman, uh, you know, not a flawless quarterback, but a guy who's coming into this matchup hot. Um, and and uh, answering my own question here, I'm going to go with that wide receiver room. It feels like a game that you're going to need that group to step up, make some plays in the perimeter, uh, get some splashes downfield. They've really leaned on that tight end unit. That may be the case. I'm sure it will to, to some extent against Utah, but it felt like that was the band-aid the last couple games with Parker Washington out of play. You're able to lean on the ground game. A lot of th uh, three tight ends out there. Uh, two tight ends pretty much never leave the field. Tyler Warren getting 25, 30 snaps in the last couple of weeks. So to me, you know, is this a matchup where Harrison Wallace sets the stage for himself going into his third year on on campus? Uh, does a Liam Clifford uh, you know, step up and make some plays? And and I think more importantly than either of those guys, Keandre Lambert Smith, because of where he's at in his career, how does he finish this season? Because he wasn't having a, a great year uh, as a junior. 
wasn't having a good Big Ten stretch uh, in November as the team was doing well offensively. He wasn't necessarily doing much. That changed in the, in the final week of the season. He was a spark plug for them. He was very important to their offensive success. Can he sustain that? And, and where is his trajectory coming out of this season? I think it's very important for this room, whether or not Parker Washington is back, is, is what is Keandre Lambert-Smith to you as a wide receiver? And I'll just reference the other couple of names here. Caden Saunders, Omari Evans, Evans burned his red shirt. Caden Saunders did not. Um, do, do either of those guys get some kind of run here with a month to prove their value and their worth to this offense here? It's very important. You're not practicing for the full month, but you're preparing for this game. It'll really a good chance to showcase what you're about to this coaching staff. And this is such an important evaluation process where even if a guy like Caden Saunders doesn't you know, reach the end zone in, in Pasadena or have three catches against Utah, this bowl experience and maybe his ability to get out there and get some run as a receiver in the rotation, that goes a long way for, for Taylor Stubblefield having data points to work off of going into what figures to be a key offseason for this freshman wide receiver group. So uh, there we are with football. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. I just want to leave it with basketball, though, because Big Ten play, Mark Brennan, open on Wednesday evening here in Happy Valley. You pointed it out on social media. I think it was the first time in almost 20 years where Penn State approached a matchup with Michigan State as a favorite. And what fans feared happened. It was a clunker. This team drops to six and three and 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 really a missed opportunity would seem to build an early season resume in conference play with a trip to the ranked Illinois on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, Daniel and I both wrote a lot about it. So if you want to check it out, go, go to this site. But to me, <laughs> You know, it really boils down to this with this team. If it's making three-point shots, it has a chance to compete or beat anybody in the Big Ten. If it's not making three-point shots, it could lose to anybody in the Big Ten. Michigan State did not play particularly well overall. Neither team did. But when your last three-pointer – when Penn State has relied very heavily on three-pointers. It went into this game leading the nation in three-point makes per game at 12-point-something – uh, so it, it's been good for them all year. But you, the last one they made was with, I think, 1934 to go in the second half, and then they proceeded to miss their final eight three-pointers. So you could look at all of the stats. If Penn State does that, it is not going to win many games. Now, I don't think Penn State's going to do that in most games. And you do have to give Michigan State uh, credit for playing good defense. But a lot of those looks were wide open. I mean, Cam Winter had a had a – a wide open look from the top of the key late in that game and just clanked it. Uh, Miles Dredd couldn't get anything going. Uh, uh, Funk uh, had another tough shooting game. So for this team to compete, they're going to have to be able to make three-pointers consistently, and they did not do that. And the reason is they just don't have a, a credible post threat other than Jalen Pickett. And when, you're, when your point guard is your best post threat, you're going to need guys making three-pointers. Kevin Jai... You know, he, he. you guys know how excited I am about him. And you could see it against Michigan State, some of the big bodies against Michigan State. Defensively, he played really well. Rebounding, he played really well. But when he got the ball in the post, he just panicked. It looked like his mind was going 5,000 miles a minute. He just has to calm down. And I think if and when he gets there, he'll get there. I just don't know how soon it's going to be. I think it's going to make things much easier for their perimeter shooters. But until then... When they get open looks, it is imperative that they knock those things down or they're going to have a lot of trouble in the Big Ten. Daniel, being a college basketball 
beat reporters such as yourself is, is tough with the stop and start nature of college basketball season. I mean, this team was six and one on Black Friday and they played twice since then. And, and that was a two overtime loss to Clemson. And then what you saw last night, a loss to Michigan State. So the sample size is tough because you have some of those early glimpses and then you've got these more recent, uh, you know, but but it's kind of, again, stop and start. How is your outlook about this team maybe different than it was when they tipped off to game one ahead of what could be a really grueling conference stretch here? Yeah, I don't think my outlook has, has changed too much. I think that we kind of knew what some of the limitations um, of this team were, especially in the front court coming into the season. And that showed up um, you know, last night against Michigan State. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that shows up against Illinois on Saturday. Um, you know, I think that the fact that they really changed their style this year it, from what we saw last year in terms of the, the three point shooting, um, I think that that's something that that bodes well for them. Um, and, you know, that first week of the season, yeah, that was great. <laughs> the, those first four games where I think they were they were above 40 percent um, from three in, in all those games. Um, but, you know, I tried to take the long view with everything, um, not get too caught up with what we saw early because we know the Big Ten. Uh, can be just a slog. And I think this year it's a little bit more wide open than, than maybe it has been in the past. So, you know, I think that when the dust settles and we're going into late February and late March, you know, I think that this is still going to be a, a team that is contending to, for a top, you know, in that seven to 10 seed range in the Big Ten tournament. I think they're still going to be on the NCAA tournament bubble. Um, but, you know, you knew that with the amount of youth that was coming in, um, at, especially at key positions where it, there needs to be some physical maturation um, along with some of the new pieces coming in. Like Andrew Funk has gotten shut down the past couple of games. So now you have to figure out how to adjust and get him going. Um, you know, I think in the overall ebbs and flows of a season, I, you're in an ebb right now. Um, and I don't really think that that changes my, my overall big picture. I think that Penn State showed last year that it can play with anybody in the Big Ten. It can give anybody fits. Um, anybody else in the Big Ten can give them fits, though. So we're, we'll we'll see how it goes. But you know, big picture, I don't think I, my my view of this team has has changed that much. All right. Well, these guys will have coverage of every Penn State basketball game moving forward, uh, as they did coming off of the Michigan State matchup on Wednesday night. A big one on tap on Saturday. Penn State can, can put Illinois on upset alert potentially early in Big Ten play. Uh, guys, appreciate all the conversation. I'm, a, I'm glad we're all set for our travel plans for the Rose Bowl. We've got media day next Saturday. Uh, so we're back at it with James Franklin and hopefully some coordinators, and we'll see who else we get to speak with. But uh, jumping right back into it, game number 13. And meanwhile, a lot going on the transfer portal and the recruiting at lines247.com. So appreciate you both taking some time. Absolutely. All right. Mark and Daniel will be back again here on the podcast. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Tyler Calvaruso will as well. We're back with a couple more episodes next week uh, in our two-episode-a-week format. Uh, we'll probably bring you an extra episode or two when we're out in Pasadena getting set for the Rose Bowl matchup against Utah. Uh, but for now, expect two per week. Big thanks to my colleagues at Lions247.com. We've got a lot going on behind the scenes at the website right now. Make sure you dive in ahead of this weekend. The recruiting visitors uh, will be on campus. Uh, very notable. Some transfer uh, pieces in that as well. And then who knows what the portal will provide in terms of news of Nittany Lions entering it and potentially Nittany Lions benefiting from it and grabbing some talent from that portal. Stay with us at Lions247.com. Uh, until the next episode, I'm Tyler Donahue stepping aside. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.